so we're back uh after a couple of months off we oh god i am very out of practice you told me there was only 41 (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean when i when we started there were and the, you know, additional extra, like, science of Discworld and, you know, all of those things mm-hmm. that we didn't tell Justin about. And, and the the wonderful world of Pooh, which we, uh, I need to get a copy of at some point. That book is incredible. That book is incredible. I love it. <laughs> anyway, uh, now that we've covered all 41 of the original books, uh, we're turning our attention outwards to works that are in the same general orbit. And by some quirk of the lady, we were blessed with a new Discworld book the very same year we finished the cycle. I'm not one to look a gift horse in the mouth or anywhere else, so we immediately reached out to the authors to see if they wanted to have a quick chat, and for some reason they said yes. Our guests tonight are twofold. First, we have Gabrielle Kent, multiply award-nominated children's author of such works as the Knights and Bikes series, Alfie Bloom series, as well as the new Ronnie Reports series. Uh, and we are also joined by Rihanna Pratchett, who has, alongside her careers in journalism, video game writing, and comic book writing, is also incredibly active in cultivating the works of Sir Terry and defending them from bad adaptations. And together, uh, Gabrielle and Rihanna have created the first new Discworld book in quite a few years, Tiffany Aching's Guide to Being a Witch. If you're a longtime listener of our show, you'll know just how important the Tiffany Aching series to us and to me personally. Uh, Gabrielle Reed, do you want to... <laughs> expand on any of my quick introductions? Ooh, um, I actually write a lot more than that or have done. So I actually work quite a bit in, in film and TV and, and did do before the formation of Narrativia. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of written for pretty much every medium apart from theatre and radio plays. I've still got that to tick off. But I've written for, for film, for TV, for for comics, for books, for tabletop role-playing games, um, yeah, for, for comics, for non-fiction like pretty much everything else so i'm very much of a, a, a sort of jill of all trades when it comes to writing i had mentioned this to aaron but i think i've i think i actually enjoyed your work before i ever read anything of terry's ah oh, it's kind of <laughs> nice when that happens <laughs> like getting there first and that does happen with with gamers yeah. uh which is nice um or, or occasionally with with comic book readers as well but yeah, I was I've always been one to kind of want to try different mediums just because I think it's it just strengthens me as a storyteller, really. I'm not I'm not very good at, at sort of just focusing on one area. Yeah, I like to kind of branch out and see what what everything's got to teach me, really. So how did this book I mean, you're you're probably six, eight mo- weeks into the your publicity tour at this point, but how did this book come about? I ask, as probably everyone else has asked. <laughs> well it was it was rob actually uh rob and alex i think were bouncing around ideas for the 20th anniversary of we free men and they sort of came up with the uh the kind of title of it and then rob pitched it to me and i said oh that sounds great but i, I really like gabrielle to work on this as well and gabrielle was doing a little bit of work for for me um just in, in my writing capacity and I thought this would be a good vehicle for us to work together. Um, and so, yeah, we we just sort of took took the title and ran with it and uh, fleshed out all the different chapters and sort of pitched it back to everyone. I, I still can't quite believe that it's uh, we're at the 20th anniversary of We Free Men. I know. That's one of the Discworld books that I 
like read when it when it came out. So I would have been I would have been 15 then. So that's it's been it's been a hot minute. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's one of definitely one of my favorites and one um well, the, the series as a whole and I I've kind of worked on adapting it a, 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 a few times over the years and yeah, it's it's one that's very dear to my heart and the Witches series in general. V, you obviously have a, a unique relationship with the series as a whole. And it sounds like the the witches and the, uh, Tiffany, you know, are clearly important to you. What would you say one of your comfort reads is? Um, in the witches series, I, I really love uh, Witches Abroad. It's one of my favorites. It's just so it's so much fun. Uh, outside of the witches, Monstrous Regiment probably is is a big one. I feel like I've read We Free Men a million billion times, <laughs> um, and I but I think uh, I Shall Wear Midnight is is both mine and Gabrielle's favorite of the of the Tiffany books. So there's yeah, I'd say I I want I really was I was talking a while ago about doing something called rereads, which hmm. is basically me going back through all my father's books, including the ones I never read, like you know Strata or Dark Side of the Sun, and just sort of doing little blog posts about them and and kind of like oh okay so like oh I remember this is maybe linked to you know so and so that was going on or I remember you know he was obsessed with going to musicals so we kept going back to back and forth to London to go and see Phantom or or uh, Les Miserables or, or um, uh, Into the Woods or something like that so I can kind of look at it through the lens of of kind of family life and also I haven't read them mm-hmm. all. Um to be fair, he never played any of my games. So um that's really <laughs> um, and uh yeah so but I, I really wanted to get an original copy of the Colour of Magic. Um, no sorry mm-hmm. not Colour of Magic um a carpet people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can blame Rob because Rob didn't want me to use his original copy because he didn't he didn't want the spine to get cracked um so we've been searching for an original copy of uh the the carpet people to kick me off um but yeah that's kind of more of a long-term plan when i sort of sort finish sorting out my website uh, i might sort of put up a little blog section where i do things like that that's just me going back and and seeing his his evolution as a writer and as a human being which i think is yeah, I'd have a unique perspective on that, basically. Yeah, that was something that I found. I, I'd never read the the Discworld books in order, chronological order before. And I think watching Terry grow and change and reevaluate, I think, uh, as he wrote all of those books was one of the things that I enjoyed the most about uh, doing this project. Uh, the other thing that I love is hearing everybody's uh, original reading order. Gabrielle, what was your original reading order? Oh, hello. Um, yes, uh, I was actually a bit out of order. It was um, a friend of mine at school lent me Light Fantastic. Um, so I was admiring the cover at her house. Um, I think it was her brother's copy. Um, she lent me that and I read it and then it didn't make a huge amount of sense because I, then I realized Color of Magic came first and then I went back and read <laughs> Color of Magic and suddenly things in like fantastic made sense. But then I'd seen Mort lying around at home. So I'd recognized the covers and thought, I'm sure my dad's reading something like this. Um, so I borrowed Mort from my dad um, and yeah, absolutely fell in love with that and then went back and read um, Equal Rights, which I think comes before Mort, doesn't mm-hmm. it? And uh, yeah, I was absolutely sold then once I discovered the witches. 
Um, but it was a, a big bonding thing for me and dad in that it was the first time I'd reached an age where, oh, he was thinking, oh, she's reading the same books as me now. And then he was piling everything on top of me, the rest of his Pratchett's and David Gemmell and any other fantasy that he had. So I had a huge pile to, to get through. But it was, um, yeah, it was a real kind of bonding thing with dad reading Discworld. Um, we'd kind of get the books and share them and talk about them afterwards. So I think I'm quite lucky that I got to grow up with uh, Discworld, really. So I think I must have been about um, probably very early teens when I when I first started reading. So I'm thinking maybe about 13. Yeah, my my personal original reading order was, what does the library have? Yeah. Uh, so it was <laughs> sort of scattershot. I, I think that that's a popular reading order, especially over here on... You know, in the states where you know there may not be a huge section in the bookstore, et cetera, but there often is a large section in the library. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think because I think there were only when I started reading Discworld, there were only the four books out. So yeah, Mort, I think had not long been published when I when was Mort published? Unless I'm thinking years later. I think it must have been published in the late eighties. I always think it came earlier than than it did, but. Um... Oh, the night it was 90s, wasn't it? I mean, I'm just going to... Uh, 87, according to Google. Oh, okay. That sounds about right. That's when I was just starting secondary school. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it was funny. The um, Somebody gave me Color of Magic when I was probably 12 or 13, and I hadn't really been a fantasy reader. I'd mostly read sci-fi. So, you know, I was reading this thing. I was like, oh, this is fun. This is interesting. This is new. I didn't have any context for, for the fact that he was lampooning sword and sandals fantasy. I don't know. It it just hooked me though. Yeah, and I think maybe the first two um, felt more that like they were lampooning other, mm-hmm. but he kind of really then seemed to come into his own. I think uh, from Mort, well, Equal Rights and yeah, Mort onwards, uh, it was less kind of Douglas Adamsy and kind of much more his own style. I think the thing also that we found was, you know, the the amazing. Uh, I'm going to say this in the American way: the amazing worries. Uh, and the Tiffany series uh, are classified as young adult, but they both handle very adult themes in much less coy ways. It's really right out there in front of you. The Tiffany mm-hmm. books are freaking scary. Okay, yeah, yeah that's that's my that's my like thing is especially especially I shall wear midnight. Like that's oh, yeah. that's the Maybe. you know. I feel like the darkest book in all amongst all 41. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And when I see um, parents talking on Twitter saying, oh, yes, I'm going to get my child, my uh, eight year old into the Tiffany Aching series, I'm thinking, well, you know, there's some, there's some really tough stuff in I Shall Wear Midnight. My older daughter read the first three Tiffany books and I uh, sort of slow rolled the fourth one a little bit because I was like, I we need to have a discussion about what the rough music is and all of that. Before you, yeah, read that. it's it's heavy. And, mm-hmm. and how was she with it? Uh she. I mean, we prepped her for it, but I think she, she, she wasn't upset by it, but she definitely called it out as a moment that was, you know, scary. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And we we just recently encouraged her to read Shepherd's Crown because honestly, that's actually sort of less dark than I Show Her Midnight. Mm-hmm. Side note, the this whole podcast was just a trick to get me to finally read Shepherd's Crown. Uh, because it was it was sitting on my shelf unopened for well, since the publication, because I wasn't ready and yeah. 
I'm, I'm sure you've heard that from many, many people, but then Rob was, you know, especially encouraging. It was like books are supposed to be read and we worked too hard mm-hmm. at not for you to read it. So. Yeah. I mean, we were telling people this yesterday. Now Tiffany's guide comes afterwards. So they can read, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. buy it. Yeah. Read that. If they- <laughs> Speaking of, um, first off for our American listeners, do you happen to know when there's a U.S. release date? <laughs> Um, we get asked this a lot. Uh, our publisher's answer is it's coming, and so we're not allowed to say anything more than that. All right. We had a we had I I put off buying it. It's like I've got my order in now, but I'm like Monday. I was like, okay, I've got the day off. I'll go to the bookstore, and I didn't realize that it wasn't out here yet. So I'm like, uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, I pre-ordered it about five minutes after I saw the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think for for kind of American fans, uh, sort of diehard fans, getting getting it from from Discworld dot com or or Emporium or Paul Shop or, or wherever you mm-hmm. can get it from, um, is it, is kind of not a bad idea. I mean, traditionally, yeah. the books have take, had a longer lead time coming out in America anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, just wherever you can get it, I'd, I'd recommend okay. to get it. <laughs> think as well because it was um you know it was kind of brushed out this year i mean it had to come out this year because this year is the 20th anniversary of um of tiffany ekin's release in the uk but uh, i think in the us it was maybe a couple of years later was it that it was released um i can't remember the exact dates so there's not the same need to to get it out within the yeah the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. but uh but yeah Fingers crossed. <laughs> and, and it provides a getting it from the, you know, discworld.com or the Emporium provides an excellent, uh, you know, excuse to get other things from the Emporium as well mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. the proud owner of Fegal Socks now. Uh, the Fegal Socks were, yeah, they're they're, very I, I got those as a Christmas gift a couple of years ago. Yes, also, and- also, the the Klax game, which I'm very excited to try. Hmm. I've tried that. I do have some Fegal Socks because that's basically, I like, I, I, I occasionally use discworld.com to buy things for other people so i don't <laughs> abuse like the, my links to it so i always like quietly just go and buy the stuff and i don't tell rob otherwise he'll try he'll try and give me a discount or, or, or do it for free or something so i just quietly do it but occasionally my my kind of uh i i just ask for free socks now and again <laughs> free socks are sometimes the occasional t-shirt if there's a new t-shirt but but yeah <laughs> free socks are the only things i'll, I'll, I'll accept for free they did send me a full collection of socks. I think Chris, the Christmas before last, I got Unseen University <laughs> socks, Death uh, socks, the City Watch socks. So yeah, yeah like, well like, I, I have just a shitload of black socks. So having socks <laughs> that are actually easy to be paired is no bad thing. And the um, packaging from the Emporium is also Christmas <laughs> special, isn't it? it is. Yeah. I, I usually save all of the cancelled extra stamps. Yeah, we've had, we've had uh, a few people say that. As is traditional, right? Yeah, I also picked up one of the the holographic uh, Ant Hill Inside stickers for my work computer because <laughs> you know there's a there's a couple of Project fans uh, among the the IT staff. There always is among the IT staff. So. <laughs> <laughs> Librarians as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really cornered the market in in kind of librarian love, which is which is great, which is a smart move actually because it means librarians will get. We'll make sure Pratchett books are in the library. And if they aren't, they'll 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 make sure they're got uh, by some way. So yeah, that was that was a yeah. very good move in yeah. a number of ways. 
having worked in the the video game industry as well, it's you know everyone in the video games industry. You know, most people tend to read uh, Discworld and various fancy novels, but then um, when I chat to people outside of the industry and my kind of nerdy circle of friends, and um, you know, mention that. I've Written this book, it's had kind of based in the Discworld, and that Discworld, you know, written by Terry Pratchett, Terry Pratchett, just outside of this lovely nerdy circle. I'm kind of it astounds me that people haven't heard of Terry Pratchett and the Discworld. The thing that I love about the Terry Pratchett fandom, though, is that the the reaction usually is, so let's figure out which book would be best for you to start with. Yeah, it is always yeah. nice to see someone asks it, and and then like. Everyone just does a gentle piling of people so you know, <laughs> saying where, where they like to start, or they they show the various reading charts that are out there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's nice that there are various inroads in. Um, yeah. It's it's got such a unique structure as a, as a series. Like the the, the I don't know whether I've seen a series structure itself in the way that that Discworld did with with sort of different strands. And so each strand has a starting point and, you know, each book is is more a continuation of the strand rather than chronological. So you could get like a, a witch's book and then a death book and then a Richmond book. And, and like, so the strands would sort of come every few books or when, when Dan felt particularly inspired by, by one of his stories and, and kind of wanted to, to kind of continue it. But yeah, so it, it was, yeah, it's very unique, and I, I think that's allowed it to have lots of lots of different inroads and starting points for people. And the amazing thing too is that those perspective shifts in the, in 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 characters really feel like genuine perspective shifts. I'm going to steal your bit, Justin, uh, because Sam Vimes in a book that isn't a Sam Vimes book is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm just rereading re Monstrous Regiment at the moment, and um, I'd kind of forgotten that Sam Bimes was in that. It's been that long since I read it, and uh, yeah, it is very interesting. Yeah, he's he's like it's there. There is it's the all the eye of the beholder stuff where like Sam in his own book is the protagonist, but in I mean to to everybody else who's not part of the City Watch, he is the he is the long arm of the law, mm -hmm. and he is. Sam Vimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was um, it was really kind of surprising when Tiffany met him in uh, which book was it in the final book, Shepherd's Crown? Where oh, uh, is, I'm imagining spoilers are fine in this. Song. Yeah, was it? I yeah. she she's definitely in in. Uh, it's I shall wear midnight, oh, right? Midnight. She goes yeah. to yeah. 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 Yes, and the with the feagles, right. Vimes versus the Feagles. Truly the yeah. most epic pairing. Yeah. Uh speaking though of Tiffany, we should probably talk at least a little bit more about this book. Um uh, yeah. what came first besides this initial idea? Was it was it like the art? Was it the individual sections? Was it just finding Tiffany's voice again? Um, I think Tiffany's voice came quite easy to us i think we we felt um i think we both feel a bit like tiffany aching and you know we thought she'd be a bit um you know a bit we did talk about this of what sort of voices the characters would have and we felt you know she'd be you know obviously more serious than nanny og um but she has her own sort of sense of humor um a bit softer than granny weatherwax but a, a firmness to her as well um but it did feel as though she came quite easily uh 
to us. But yeah, there was that initial process where, as Ree was saying, we wrote out all of the things we think you needed to know about being a witch in the disc world and then prepared to fight over the individual chapters and didn't fight at all. We both got exactly what we wanted, which was amazing. We um so yeah, we were both very, very happy with the the sections we chose to write. I think I've completely forgotten what the question was. So do remind <laughs> me if I go rambling off in a completely different direction. Which came first? Uh we, yeah. So, so we, I think we did talk a bit about the voice first and then we did yeah, our I, I think Tiffany's actually a blend of in the books, you've got Tiffany's actual spoken voice, but you also have the narratorial voice. And so actually, I think she was the the kind of uh, kind of narrator voice of the Tiffany books was actually what we wove it a little bit into Tiffany's voice because obviously we didn't have that a, a kind of narrator um, kind of observing Tiffany, but we wanted to get that humour in there. So we were sort of balancing Tiffany's natural voice with a, a bit more of, of a kind of narratorial observation um, in there. So I think she she's slightly different than the books but it's still it's got the same vibe it's just pulling pulling from two different strands um so she's probably like i think the the kind of uh narrator voice in the books is is kind of often more uh as as funny and often more funny than, than tiffany is and and uh obviously has great observation as well uh, that's probably in line with Tiffany. So we wanted to make sure that that humour was was kind of brought in and, and also the other witches were very handy for that as well. And mm-hmm. and the spill words too. That was one but, of my favourite parts of this is um, reading through and seeing all of Tiffany's own little snarky comments and, <laughs> you know, uh, they brought me a lot of joy. Yeah. Oh, good. We did have uh, fun with that. So a little bit of passive aggression usually aimed at uh, Let's See a Wig. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Who deserved it, frankly. I, I have a love of this sort of format of book. Like, I grew up on, like, the... the the, the Like, the Star Wars visual dictionaries. And, like, I, I mean... Um, I, I, w- I always love books that like the in character like or in universe documents that those are always fun for me especially i i really love all of the editorial comments that all of uh all of the characters are making just because it's it's like oh i you know it's like i love a thing and it's like oh hey this is the you know section and then we've got this like running argument on the side i'm just yeah. i love that it's, it's like no that 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 is what witches should be it's yeah. Oh, yeah. As we were writing as uh, as well, so we were you know, looking over chapters each other had written, and then we'd spot things, and we'd be, "Oh, Nanny Og would not let that go." So <laughs> have a comment on that, and then I think Granny Weatherwax will definitely have some kind of clap back at what Nanny Og's just said. <laughs> so we're taking on very much the uh, the identity, the personality and identity of the witches as we were. Um, yeah, so we we got into little little arguments in the borders as the witches, which was uh, a lot of fun. And the feagles, apparently. <laughs> oh yes, even rob anybody uh, <laughs> got in there as well. Yeah, I love all the marginalia. I mean, the book itself is a piece of art. Um, you know, not only all the illustrations, but the you know the typesetting, um, layout, et cetera. It's all fantastic. And you know, one of my favorites was in the sections on pets, the the scratched pages and the paw prints. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just 
wonderful yeah, i think that was that was a, like an early thing um that would would that was suggested to go in there because i use the same technique in in um lost words mm-hmm. uh the the game i wrote which takes place in a journal so this was that was done before um or at least partly takes place in a journal so it's called lost words beyond the page it's an indie game um so the the protagonist in that has a cat called pinky and so pink pink you get occasional pinky uh, poor prints and things on the page and so I, I I thought that would be nice because um you would be around you know maybe you know Grebo uh, as well uh if you know, Nanny Og was reading it um so yeah it was like it's fun things to do like that and so yeah thinking about the page architecture um and and kind of little bits and pieces that could go on and we sort of um had a big spreadsheet where we pop in ideas for what what we'd like to see ha- illustrated by Paul and Paul also um would come back to us and say oh you really wanted to draw the biting fae or grimhounds or drones and and we'd kind of incorporate them into the text um and yeah you wrote a whole chapter didn't you <laughs> say that again you wrote him a whole chapter, practically, of things he wanted to <laughs> <Yeah>. illustrate. <laughs> Pretty much. There was a lot of kind of companion uh, in, in the sort of monsters section as well. I think he, mm-hmm. he'd he been holding back on drawing some more monsters. And uh, actually his his uh, drone images have proved very popular. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So it was that, yeah, that was lovely to be able to do as well. Oh, as of the dogs, because there's been lots of pictures of the the cats of the disc, but to um, Thunder and Lightning was a, a, a lovely picture to see. Yeah. I think made yeah. all very happy. Yeah, those are those are lovely, lovely illustrations, and I loved all the references to um, the references to Mister Kidby within the book mm. too. <laughs> the, those were a lot of fun. Yeah, we decided quite early on we were going to do that sort of wrap uh, Paul into the world, working for Gort Berger as his kind of in-house <laughs> illustrator. <laughs> that also gave us chance to, um, yeah, joke about the Feagles, how he wasn't able to render all their individual tattoos oh, because yeah, they were <laughs> just drinking all the white spirit. <laughs> just shaded them all blue. And seeing yeah. Spare Brian visualized was disturbing. <laughs> that's that's Gabrielle, one of Gabrielle's favorite illustrations. <laughs> I love that spread. It's great. You've got Brian, uh, Frog Brian, Spare Brian, all on the same yeah. page. And, and, really makes me chuckle. And, and Frog Brian with a little cigarette, too. <laughs> yeah. I think oh. Brian looks kind of like a, a young rinse wind, but a bit yeah. more. Yeah. Um, were there any bits that you couldn't fit in? Uh, I guess we, we could probably have kept going, uh, but I know it was kind of quite a tight deadline to get it done for the um, for the 20th. Was there anything else you would have put in? I think we expanded more than we had. Yeah, we did end up with a few chapters popping in as we realised other things that were important to this world. There was a, well, there was a recipe, a nanny og, um, kind of scumble cocktail that uh, we did write, but it is, I guess, technically a children's book. So maybe <laughs> the cocktail didn't make it in, <laughs> but we will share that at some point. I think we did test it. I got the ingredients, took them down to Rihanna's, and we um, we did some uh, testing as we were, yeah, experimenting. Bit of mixology. <laughs> did it burn through the pot? 
<laughs> yeah, we 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 had to you know test a number of times, of course. To... Yeah, yeah. Well, I th- I think yeah, I can't remember what we called it though. I don't think it. I don't think it was scumble. I think it, like I I think that's something we were we wanted to apple thing. But I I thought it was hex on the hill. Hex on the hill. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, what, I'll pop into our folder and see if it's in there. And uh... yeah, because there are no beaches uh, on uh, in in the round tops. Um, yeah, but yeah, I don't think it was Scumble because I remember us talking because we we actually have a um, my partner and I have a geeky cocktail book that has scum uh, a Scumble recipe in it. Uh, or anyway, so we kind of wanted to to like move away, but still keep like the apple-y you know that there should be mm-hmm. kind of nods towards apples it was very tasty i mean it was yeah, uh yeah. it had a uh, apple brandy mm. flat cider fizzy cider and ginger ginger syrup it could it be a ginger liqueur I, I thought it was like old rosy cider so cloudy it was nice cloudy flat cider yeah. and then a fizzy cider as well too that sounds quite nice it was it was uh yeah very nice very appley uh with a Maybe it was too strong a ginger kick initially, I think, wasn't it? We had to torn back the ginger. Yeah, and then yeah. I think we were we were using fresh apple slices as well, but then we found out we could get dry, dry apple slices. Yeah, but it was it was it was fun. It was definitely fun experimenting. Yeah, but that, that was something we would have liked to have gone in, but I can understand it not going in a, a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> Although the the um the commentary from Nanny Og is is quite quite spicy although there, i did appreciate the sections that got scratched out by um <laughs> no. by granny weatherwax <laughs> yeah there were some bits where oh re are you sure you can say that in a kid's book no um <laughs> it's going in hex <laughs> uh, in a glass was the name of the cocktail oh, okay. in the end okay yeah. <laughs> Why it was Hex in a Hill at one point, so it seems to have been Hex in a Glass that ended up as. We'll share this at some point. It was it's a good cocktail. Be, I think we should go back to Hex on the Hill. Right. Go back to Hex on a Hill. We'll go back to Hex on a Hill. Let's <laughs> find this in the old folder we were working in with all of our old workings. Of, well, haven't been in there for a while. Yeah, oh, there was lemon juice in there as well. Mm. Oh, little, little acid zing. That's a good. That's a good call. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anna and I each made something out of the Nanny Og cookbook uh, for uh, a thing that Pratchett was doing at one point. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. During the depths of the pandemic when we were all just like, let's find anything to do, please. <laughs> that, was, that was like the first pandemic Christmas, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I made I made the uh, the amusing wobbly uh, pink you know, items, except I didn't have champagne flutes, but I did have martini glasses, so they were very amusing cones. <laughs> and, I put a, and I put a little strawberry in the top, too. Mm. Oh, nice. <laughs> very long. <laughs> for, for a fact. Yeah. <laughs> so what comes next after this book? We don't know. Mm. Um, I mean, we, we've, got, we've got various ideas for general other things, but it's we're not we're not currently working on anything yet. Like I think we're seeing how how this one is going, and we've got very yeah. You know, there's various sort of pots, uh, you know, simmering. Um, mm-hmm. So we're not. We're, yeah, we're not. We're still. It feels like we're still in the depths of this one at the moment. So we're not sure. We're, we're, we'd like the the publishers to um, investigate 
like a, a maybe a paperback version of of what could be done in a kind of paperback version because obviously the, the with the slip case and it, it's very beautiful it's very beautiful but it makes it more expensive mm-hmm. and it's like okay what what could be done sort of in a, a paperback format which i don't i don't think was originally planned um i don't know whether that's something that the publishers might consider now uh it's something certainly we'd like uh but well yeah we'll, we'll have to say that that's definitely something that's not you know it's not fully been talked about yet but we want to you know make sure it gets gets into the hands of as many people as possible really mm-hmm. yeah it's sort of yeah it's, it is yeah quite pricey for people so it would be nice to have that paperback format it's also I think maybe a more difficult one to sell around the world as well because of the cost of producing it I mean it is a beautiful full color thing um but yeah we we do have a range of ideas we also have a spreadsheet full of interesting things as well (laughs) unfortunately we can't talk about but there is lots of uh interesting ideas in this wonderful spreadsheet because it's 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 such a vast world isn't it there's so much that could um come out of it so hopefully there will be uh, more things in the not too distant future. I mean, they, we did a signing yesterday in York, and I think um, uh, publishers tend to assume that um, signings people don't really go to signings so much these days. But um, we arrived at the shop, Traveling Man um, Comics and Board Games, which is a lovely shop, and there was this queue right the way down the street. It was in the freezing cold as well; it had been snowing the night before, icy cold, and there was just this queue all the way down the street, um, wow. waiting for us. Absolutely amazing. That's incredible. So in there for three hours. So that was actually the longest that we we'd signed for so far. Um, yeah. So we're we're sort of yeah we're we're hoping maybe to do some more with with the traveling man um, shops. And it was it's, it's really lovely. It's really been lovely meeting the, the fans and and doing it as a doing it with you know our respective work wives as well. It's nice having. You know, someone else there with you because, like, we're like uh, before the traveling around, we just had lunch and we did uh, like a tooth check. Like, have we got like seeds and stuff in our teeth? And we were like, okay, you got something there. So, we actually like that's that's the benefit of having a co author is like, uh, you, you get to kind of check that sort of thing. And uh, Gabrielle's a mum, so she's always tidying me up anyway, <laughs> like, it's a natural inclination, but yeah, it's nice to be able to, like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, you're good, you're good, okay. To actually stop myself, kind of like scrubbing a little bit off your face, <laughs> like licking a, yeah. licking a handkerchief and rubbing your face. That, somehow, I don't think Dad and Neil had that kind of relationship. <laughs> and who would be doing the the cleaning? Is the question. Well, I mean, Dad Dad had the beard, so he probably would be more likely to get stuff stuck in there. But I don't know whether <laughs> Neil would just let yeah let that lie or not. But... The Peter Jackson special. <laughs> Something that I I really like on a personal level, probably my favorite part of the Tiffany book was uh, the uh, little section from Jeffrey, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because as somebody who had some gender fuckery happen during the pandemic and like eventually getting to the end with Jeffrey uh, was maybe like is one yes. of those things where it's like I'm not very much like Jeffrey and we are too like entirely different person uh like but it's still like there there are points of the shepherd's crowd where i'm just like this is the like this is the most i feel seen in a discworld book and getting to see them be there and getting to like be in this witch's book is very it's very like meaningful to me personally and i'm like i really and i and also the section is very fun to read about the sheds and everything (laughs) 
Yeah, I, we really wanted to get Jeffrey in there. And when we sort of talked about adaptations and stuff, kind of between us, we've always said that, you, you know, if we ever got to kind of adapt this Tiffany series as a whole, we get Jeffrey in earlier because they have such an interesting story that you kind of want to to dramatise that more, whether you, you did it as you folded it into I Shall Wear Midnight um, or you just kind of dramatised it more in, in The Shepherd's Crown. But mm-hmm. Jeff is such a lovely character. He reminds me, so they remind me, because um, that's one of the things we wanted to do with Jeffrey. Yeah, there's a significant shift in pronouns, I noticed. Yeah, we use Monstrous Regiment as a as a um, guide in doing that. So in Monstrous Regiment, uh, with, with Jack Rum, apologies for any spoilers, um, when Polly discovers that, that Jack Rum was was born female... The, te- the 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 text uh, refers to Jackram as her for a little bit, and when Jackram sort of basically says, "No, this is this is who I am," like, um, and and it decides to go back to to see his son as his father and not as his mother, the text goes back to referring to to Jackram as he. Uh, and we wanted to kind of incorporate that a little bit. So when Tiffany's initially talking about Jeffrey. She says uh, he, uh, and when she she says that Jeffrey told her that he didn't really feel like a you know male or female, um, the text re- just refers starts referring to to uh, Jeffrey as as they them or just simply Jeffrey, um, mm-hmm. and that felt like the the way to do it. Um, and yeah, it's in it was that is in the original book as well, isn't it? That uh, your dad actually did write yes, that. Yes, he did write like you know he. He that he being down set the the kind of precedent for it, and we just sort of followed it on. Um, Jeffrey reminds me somewhat of Johnny mm-hmm. in the in the Johnny books. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of calmness and ability to listen very hard. Um, Nanny also has the, the the power of listening as well. Slight, it's done in a slightly different way to to Jeffrey, um, but yeah, Jeffrey really reminded me of Johnny. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I we definitely knew that we wanted to get Jeffrey in there, Mephistopheles, and <laughs> we hope that we'll be able to do more with Jeffrey in the future. He was he was such a gift in in the Shepherd's Crown that um, you know we we all read through the Shepherd's Crown and you know had many emotions. But one of the biggest things was what a what a gift to have such you know a new unique character in in this book that jeffrey is so different from anything we've seen before in Discworld, and he's just wonderful they they're just wonderful yeah mm. even even though it's the you know the end asterisk of the whole series it also just sort of leaves you with this wide open plane of opportunities i want to know a lot more about mephistopheles as a whole yes <laughs> <laughs> That's that's why if we ever adapted it, we'd like to bring in Jeffrey earlier because he's like mm. Jeffrey's been on a whole arc by the time he like they sorry uh, by the time they uh, encountered Tiffany in in Shepherd's Crown, and I really wanted to know more about that. I think and and that would be a a fun yeah. way to explore you know Jeff Jeffrey's origin story, which you are told about um, and is dramatized a little bit. 
but it would be it would be great to see more of that and and having talking about witchcraft in in other characters as well was was quite a fun chapter in in kind of it how it has its tendrils in in male characters like um uh Jason Ogg as yeah. well and shooing the mm-hmm. unicorn and shooing the the ant um and uh Mrs. Palm as well and you know the part part-time witches and to sort of talk about witchcraft in a, a slightly wider context as well I thought you know that was important for us yeah, it's, yeah, I think I think one of the the things that like I mean is obviously carried over from it, but uh, like, but like the the part on like part time witches, almost witches and stuff is that like it really does cement that feeling of witch is a verb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I I really like that section as well with um you know, other ways to be a witch or almost a witch, mm-hmm. etc. Um, I, I, I liked that it, it felt like it was tapping into one of the like fandom things, which is looking at all the other characters and being like, is Vimes a witch? Yes. No. Who knows? Maybe like, you know, that all of these different characters have witchy aspects to them. Um, and I liked that it felt like it was tapping into that, whether that was intentional or not. Oh, it wasn't particularly intended, but I think it's just the way we looked at the the characters as well, and um, yeah, saw the the witch like um, tendencies some of them had. Mm-hmm. I think Granny Weatherwax may have had, you know, more of a yeah. I think she may have been more rigid in her thinking of uh, what a witch should be like. I feel like she softened in that as well over the book, so um, I think she would have been probably quite accepting of Jeffrey in the end. I also just dearly love Tiffany, uh, just up and down and sideways. It's like, I, I, we had, uh, we had Ursula Vernon on for, uh, our discussion of We Free Men. And it, it was very interesting listening to her as put on her, her YA author hat and talk about how deeply unfair it was that, that, uh, Terry was able to get yeah. a character like Tiffany across, uh, the editor's page because she would never have been able to get uh somebody a a young female character as complex as her across well that that had a history of doing it was certainly tiffany was certainly not the first complex female character that he'd Mm -hmm. done um so i guess yeah but specifically he she said that he you know she would never be allowed to make somebody not Mm. pink and fluffy and nice yeah as a female author, like and, herself, and sad, like disappointing. That like, I, I mean, I'm glad Dad did it, of course. But you know, it's it's a shame that, um, yeah, sometimes female authors do get pigeonholed in the kind of fantasy that may be expected of them, and that's. I think that mm-hmm. Dad broke mold for what was expected of of male authors, and that's had great success. So. Um, yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I hope that yeah, people are, you know, <laughs> publishers and editors become a little less rigid in their thinking. Some that also, of course, may have been that it was what book 31. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. Sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> Colin Smith was probably like, sure. 
I imagine you can get away with a lot uh, in book 31. That- mm. uh, his, uh, his female characters did evolve, I think, as Rhee was growing up as well. So I've often thought that um, Rihanna was a big influence um, on the way he wrote sort of young female characters because he had, yeah, <laughs> he had some, um, he was able to just observe you growing yeah. up, really. And I think he did actually bring little things, <laughs> glubs. Glubs. <laughs> hmm. Small child wearing gloves. I used oh. to have the, the 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 gloves on strings, uh, and and kind of um, yeah, gloves with left and right written on them, or boots like welly boots with left and right on them. Um, but yeah, gloves is definitely definitely for me. Yeah, just things I would he'd hear me saying to the cats or or things like that. But uh, where has all the custard gone? The uh, the song that. Um, I think in in the round tops they used to time boiling uh, boiling eggs. It's it comes from me talking to the cats, <laughs> uh, but I think he also knew that I was watching him mm. as well as uh, he was watching me. So I I think mm-hmm. he sort of pulled his socks up a bit <laughs> with some of the, with his, his, his female characters, and and yeah, they just just got better and better. And I I, I think. I'd say Vimes is is definitely up there, but he really soared with his female characters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, you know, the, the the love people have for 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 Granny Weatherwax and and Vimes, like to to have two such well loved, soaring, wonderful characters. Like, uh, so so few authors even get one, mm-hmm. but those yeah. two, I think, are are the <laughs> the pinnacle yeah. of his writing those uh those characters um and yeah it's it's kind of frustrating you were so good at both male and female characters it's just like well that's just clearly not fair <laughs> did they ever meet? they didn't meet did they granny weatherwax and sunbine don't think at any point no um I don't, think, I don't so. think so. It would have been very fleetingly if they had. In, maybe, so. maybe in Masquerade, very briefly. Yeah, that would be the only place I could think of, though. I feel that that, that maybe Granny's met Carrot, but maybe I'm thinking maybe that was Masquerade. It was all slightly strange when mm. you had like when the, the guards sort of crossed over into Witch's book. It it was. Yeah. Like you get that now all the time, actually, in TV series, especially with it kind of the you know, Marvel and then things based on comic books, you get characters popping up in different <laughs> shows like that, which is always nice. But it was felt, um, and I think probably if, if there were more adaptations, you could play mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. idea because mm-hmm. obviously the witches have gone to that too. And Walpork a number of times, so is Tiffany. Um, you know, the, the round tops are obviously a good. Breeding ground for both wizards as well as witches, um, so you can play play around with that. I think a lot. I think the saddest I've ever been waking up from a dream was I dreamt once that Studio Ghibli had signed on to do the Tiffany series. And- <laughs> <laughs> that that's yeah, that's that'd be rough waking up from that. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to see the uh, stage show of Spirited Away together in, is it May? It's May, I think mm. we've booked with my, my daughter. Um, so that's going to be good. I saw Totoro um, earlier this year. And, oh, my goodness. The the stage performance of Totoro was was incredible. Oh, yeah. And 
Gabrielle's the only person that's had a cat boss cake at her oh, yeah. home night. Thank you for that, really. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. I, I, I think the, the, the baker was somewhat confused about what it was, but they, they took a good stomach. Um, so, that, yeah, they'll have a cat boss cake at her. The, the, the unofficial theme was cyber vikings yeah it was a it was an unusual hen night i think we end watching horror, didn't we? and there went nothing with a penis no, on. that was the requirement please i'm not going to carry wear or drink from anything with a penis on it oh mrs proust would have been very disappointed yeah one of the things that we've what that we've done you know as we were reading through the main series of books is, yeah, you know, when we started out, we would um, each recording, we'd each introduce ourselves with kind of a silly title um, based off of the the contents of the book. And I feel like this, this book, um, the, the perfect, the perfect thing from it is the hats. Um, so, so um, what, what hat, would be everybody's like hat of choice. I can I can see Gabrielle looking up the hat. Oh, <laughs> in the book, but I, I, I had this. Those are the hats from Boffle. And let me just yeah, um, the. Uh, oh, here we go. Um, I would have taken the Rinslinger. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. it's the closest to like a cowboy hat. Now. Sorry, I have a brand. Oh yeah, the, the, uh, the so it's yeah, it's the Rinslinger. Oh, yeah. uh, that that would be the one oh, I would do just because it yeah. is the it is. Uh, Cowboyish. <laughs> I have I have a very bad center of gravity, so I would not trust myself with a tall hat. Um, as and as another person who has you know a brand, um, I think I I think mine is would be in fact one of the Bafo hats, the Apprentice Witch hat with evil glitter. Yeah, that's that's a great one. I was actually looking at the Bafo hats there. I like the goggles on the Cloudburster. I'd probably goggles yeah. from that. Maybe a bit. I'd, I want to mix a few of these. Actually, I like the veil on the tainted veil. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah, good I could. Yeah, I'd probably customize these. Do you have a, a specific favorite, Re? No, I do like the tainted veil. Hmm. I, did, I knew that. That's very. A <laughs> <laughs> lettuce earwig. Yeah, I, might... yeah, I like the ones that are on the Boffo catalog as well. Like, yeah, your twisted crown. I like the I like the curliness of the twisted crown. Yeah. But yeah, of course, had a lot of fun with the tainted veil. I think. I think I've been thinking about hats for a long time. Oh yeah, he really, he really got into drawing hats. I do like Hilter's uh, purple hat as well. Yeah, it was it was yeah. really fun yeah. seeing uh, a very diverse set of witches. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that is something that yeah we were very keen. Um, yeah, very keen to see. It's nice to get kind of. Witches that were already diverse in in there a little bit more, like Marchesa, mm-hmm. like Mrs. Gogol, um, and just sort of like highlighting them a bit more. Yeah, actual icon yeah. art is nice. Yeah, and we've got uh, yeah Hilta as well, um, and I think in the Coven as well. We've got a mix of witches. Uh, and uh, Mrs. T- Miss Tick is uh, South Asian as well in this as well. And it's, there's, there's a bit of Indira Varb yeah. there, definitely. Mm. I can see. Yeah. Uh, who's read the audiobook? I mean, 
our words read by Indira Barnes, yeah. which which I, I haven't I haven't gotten the, like I haven't listened to the new audiobooks yet, but that is that is I, I yeah. that yeah. is a pickup. That yeah. that's a great one. Very yeah. She's perfect. And uh, Rihanna has uh, taken on. So I wrote some very passive aggressive. It was quite last minute, actually, some very passive aggressive notes from uh, Lettuce Earwig um, throughout the book. And <laughs> Rihanna has actually done the audio for the uh, for the Lettuce Earwig notes. Uh, Incredible. This Earwig has like the most. I can't. I can't describe a co- this coworker, but like. <laughs> Has like the there is a there is an earwig in every yeah. job yep. that you have. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when I was working in civil government, there there was a there was an earwig. When I work in tech now, there exists. Yeah, that's yeah. why she was so easy to write the notes for because just that kind of <laughs> passive aggression that we've all experienced. <laughs> so it was nice to actually be the one giving that out. And the while the while this this is all focusing too much on practical stuff. We 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 need to go into the, the theoretical stuff that is obviously and as as somebody as somebody who's you know works in science. The oh well, this is too focused on the practical. Let's think about the the theoretical. Is um that that person absolutely does exist <laughs> everywhere <laughs> and is the constant bane of my existence. Yeah. <laughs> Well, if only we could have a granny and a nanny in our lives. Yeah. I think we did have a, a granny and a nanny. Yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of, we're starting to morph. I know we're, we're sort of halfway between our granny weathermax and our, uh, and our nanny og face. Yeah. And and we've said we both had uh, grandmothers who were a kind of granny aching type grandmother and... Uh, a grandmother who was yeah a bit more a bit more oggish went round the houses so I used to go around my grand used to um look after elderly people sort of living in their or like it was like a managed like assisted living area and she'd go around and visit them all in their little houses every day um and bring me with her um you know and she'd do things like cutting toenails and um just making sure they're okay they had enough food and um, so I got to go around the houses with her quite often. And Rihanna had a similar thing with her grandma that checked that all the old boys and girls were okay. Uh, and I, I think that may be something that's that's got a little lost mm-hmm. over the yeah. generations. It was like uh, both for myself and Gabrielle, our, our grandparents were very important to us and were very, uh, quite a big point of our childhood. And I think we learned different things from them than we learned from uh from our parents and definitely for the gram from the grandmas it was caring about other people and, and like making sure that checking in on the community uh it's, it's mm-hmm. nice and i think that doesn't happen as much as it used yeah. to and it, it like it's it's such as a you know the soul and center of witchcraft really that's that's amazing that both of you have had like that specific experience from from being a witch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we realised as we were writing that uh, we both had shepherdess grandmothers. I mean, I'd never really considered my grandmother a shepherdess, but I was, you know, she was a farmer. They had a farm in Galway. And I said to mum, well, they had sheep, didn't they? And she said, oh, yes, it was your granny would look after the sheep. So, so wait a minute, we both had shepherdess grandmothers and Tiffany Aking has a shepherdess grandmother. This is bizarre. Yeah, my my shepherd's grandmother was probably a lot posher 
than right. um, uh, Granny Aching. So she probably looked a little bit more like uh, how Paul has drawn Constance Level, who was uh, we actually gave a first name to okay. uh, in the book. So she looks a lot like, I think it's Joan Hickson who who played uh if not the first certainly one of the earliest miss marple in the when uh, miss marple was in black and mm. white um and also um uh, i think sort of went into the, the shop where my my uh, my mum kind of lived like she lived locally to to my to my mum um so yeah she she looked a little bit more kind of joan hicksony and and wore kind of more tweed um but did have a flock of of Jacob sheep so I you know and did uh spin the wool she uh, so Jacobs are normally used for their wool um and so that they'd shear the sheep and spin uh, and then clean the fleeces and spin the wool and then she would knit it into jumpers and things like that and yeah I remember that all all through my life so kind of growing up growing up amongst animals as well um I think I was very lucky to be able to do that. And my my parents were very much like Tom and Barbara in The Good Life, if you see that. Actually, but a little, a little bit more rural. So they, they um, dad obviously was working for, for various newspapers and then the, the CGB. Uh, but we, you know, we grew a lot of our own vegetables. We had bees, we had goats, we had chickens and ducks. Um and yeah, it was a, it was a it was a proper small holding really. Um, and we eventually had to sort of stop keeping goats when I was about sort of ten or eleven because they're such they're quite demanding. <laughs> you know, you've, got to, you've got to milk them regularly. You've got to sort of uh, take them to graze in their fields and stuff. There's a lot to do with goats. Um, chickens are a little bit easier, so we kept chickens. Um, for for a lot longer and at one point I thought my mother was going to start up like the, the sunshine sanctuary for sick chickens she was sort of taking <laughs> on like other people, elderly chickens in the neighborhood and stuff like that but yeah we she's now chickenless but I've always kind of grown up with chickens and just Justin that sounds like your stories so yeah my my mother has recently moved into the California mountains uh in I I would say she's not retired but she's like she's 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 laying the tracks for when it's down the road won't have to worry about anything but I'm ar- I'm already moving out to the middle of nowhere so nobody can bother me uh which I find very funny because she is a traveling author and speaker but also decided to move in the middle of nowhere but this is a woman who up until like 3 years ago hated nature like you know the the worst like she would if you gave her the option between a firing squad and camping she would ask for the gun um that is a big uh like um liver in the woods i think like i I believe that she's got kind of at least one cabin if not more and she's a big bird watcher as well um i do think there is a link between writers of a certain generation and and kind of love and appreciation for nature and kind of want yeah the funny thing is is that she moves out there and then like she had had a cat and a dog but a couple years ago messages me like and she sends me pictures like so we started so we're doing chicken rescue now (laughs) We're, we're doing like unwanted and like we're taking in chickens and like you know, fast forward to this year where they have a coop on their property and 
had eight chickens. And so I'm visiting up there. This is like back in the summer. And I, I'm like, they, they've got this nice bath. They've got this nice bathroom. They remodeled. So I'm going in there. It's in their, in their master bedroom. So I can like have a nice bath. And I go in there and in the bedroom in a cage there is a chicken <laughs> and, and I was like, and you know, so I come downstairs and I'm like, after I've cleaned up and I'm like, why is there a chicken in your bedroom? <laughs> and she's like, Oh, well she's sick. And we have to separate out the sick chickens. And I'm like, what have you done one extreme to the other. <laughs> Oh yeah. Just completely. It's like, Oh no, it's a, yeah, it's, it's very funny. She, she is literally like, you know, she's like, I won't tell you how many, how much, how many, uh, how much money I've spent on veterinary <laughs> visits for checkouts. And I was like, I, the fact that you made that, uh, I'm like, oh, really difficult, like uh, quite difficult when they get sick. Oh yeah, and a, like I learned that like they like you have to separate them out, otherwise the other chickens will try to um, I, them. Well, I guess it, it depends on what they have, but I I know that we used to have to separate chickens into something. Called, well. I don't think it was when I was a kid, but when I was older, they had something called the naughty box. <laughs> and I think this is for like chickens that um, are very broody and they insist on just sitting on the, their nests and won't kind of get up and won't eat. So you have to put them in like an like isolation um, with kind of like a metal flooring that's not very comfortable for them to sit in. So they start actually just walking around more and, and standing upright huh. and, and going back on perches and stuff and not sitting down as much. But yes, it was called the naughty box. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember as a kid trying to help sick chickens by uh, grinding up pellets and, and mixing them with water and trying to feed them from my Cindy watering can. Uh, like down down the beak and I, I yeah I just remember several times a sick chicken would be put in the greenhouse and I'd be trying to like give it give it food from a Cindy watering can but um yeah they they are difficult to like once once chickens go it's uh yeah it's difficult um but I, yeah I have a lot of love for chickens they make such nice noises I like I love collecting eggs like I had a friend whose family um ran a dairy farm and I'd always want to go and collect eggs when I when I got there. It's it's I think it's one of it's just a simple a simple joy for me. So I hope that my future contains chickens in some way. Okay. Maybe not goats. Goats are kind of hardcore. I do I do like <laughs> I do appreciate goats. I went I went up to the Cotswolds quite recently and stayed somewhere that had goats. Um and I got to kind of like pet them and the goats have very kind of very specific type faces, quite somewhat evil, <laughs> but like yeah, it's the square uh, eyes. Yeah. It's the square uh, eyes that but just like for me a it's... kind of familiar, familiar evil. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was that was nice to see. I don't see too many goats, and I will not eat goat meat because of of growing up with goats. And um, uh, yeah, I did, still uh, yeah, I'll still eat chicken even. Growing I was going to say chicken's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have some yeah. friends who grew up on a goat farm and refused to even come close to goat cheese. Mm. I'm actually allergic to goat cheese now. It's 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 really weird. Like I think I I grew up so much on goat's milk and goat cheese, and then I and obviously my body had an allowance, and then at some point I just went over and it was just like, no, no more goat cheese for you. And so it's the only cheese I'm allergic to. It's really strange. Well, I want to be mindful of time because I know it's quite a bit later there than it is here, um, but. I would love to hear if there's anything that you would uh, like for folks to know about that's coming up for you. Uh, anything you want to pitch, anything you want to plug. 
Well, I can, I can, yeah, I can plug mythical creatures now. That's been now it's been kind of released. So this you can listen to it in in the US on BBC Radio Sounds. So this is a BBC Radio Four show that's going out from uh, December the eighteenth for two weeks over the Christmas period. So it's a little short show, about um, forty minutes long, uh, where I, I've been trundling around the, the the UK talking to. Uh, storytellers and cryptozoologists and geomythologists about particular mythical creatures like black dogs or mermaids or dragons or giants or um, hobs or wolver. Um, and we've just done 10 little episodes uh, about each each particular creature, Some, sometimes more than one. Um, and so that was a lot of fun to do. And you can... Um, listen to that on BBC Radio 4 and it'll also be downloadable on BBC Sounds which I believe is available in the US and you can sort of download I think you can either listen to it daily on BBC Radio 4 or you just download the whole thing from from uh, uh, BBC Radio Sounds um so that's fun uh, so I've been doing that for for a, uh, on and off over the the last year so it's nice to be able to talk about that mm-hmm. and if yeah sounds excellent into- oh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was great fun. It was lots of there, there was a kind of there's definitely an intersection between um folklorists and people that like Discord stuff as well. Mm, yeah. yeah. And if you're into any of those creatures, I think practically all of those are in my Nights and Bikes series as well, thinking about it. So when Ree was talking about what she was looking into for the radio series, I was thinking, yeah, I think they're pretty much all in Nights and Bikes. There's a lot of Cornish mythology in that, but it's a mad series. Um based around uh, two girls hunting for a cursed treasure set in the 1980s. Um, it was a lot of fun to write. started writing it when my daughter was 10 weeks old. Well, not even 10 weeks old, just about eight weeks old, and I had 10 weeks to write it. So it's absolutely, well, it's written on a lot of sleep deprivation uh, <laughs> with one hand while I was holding her with the other. So um, it has that level. Of- it's, it's really brilliant. It really feels like it's what, Gabrielle and I would have been up to if we'd known each other as kids. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Like we kind of feel that we did, like, spiritually know each other as kids, but we never, like, we, we didn't meet until adulthood. It's weird. I feel like we are childhood friends, even yeah, though. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's yeah, it's, it's definitely got that vibe. I think we must but, have yeah, been close to first. We were important parts of our lives before we did this, so it was such a joy to be able to, to do it together. Oh, it absolutely is. Um, oh, and my uh, latest book, Rani Reports, that I wrote with my husband, just became one of the Times uh, Children's Books of the Year yesterday, Ooh. which was uh, very nice. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank <Nice>. you. <laughs> so yeah, that felt uh, that felt very nice to uh, yeah, because we wrote it uh, wrote it very much for our daughter. Um, so my husband's family are Mauritian, so um, kind of uh, in indoor Mauritian. Um, and there's hardly any books with South Asian protagonists. So it's really nice to actually get to write a book with a British Mauritian girl as a, a main character for our daughter to kind of see herself in yeah. as she grows up. Um, and that's also why it was so important for us to have um, more diversity in the witches of this mm-hmm. world, I think, which, uh, yeah, Paul's done a great job of, of implementing that. So I think diversity is in books is very important to us. Well, on that note, I think that we're going to call this footnote closed. Uh, thank you both so much for agreeing to do this and dealing with the scheduling and rescheduling and rescheduling. Uh, we really appreciate it. 
Oh, thank you so much for having us on. It's lovely to. Yeah, and uh, for those of you listening, if you order from Discworld.com or Discworld Emporium soonish, uh, it should arrive in time for Christmas. We hope. Uh, if not, it'll arrive a little bit after, and then you can just keep that holiday spirit going. <laughs> it does make a really good Christmas present. Mm-hmm. I was just yeah. about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, really. Did. We had a lot of we had a lot of people buying, particularly for their mums. A lot of very good sons and daughters out buying, buying it for their mum uh, when we're in in York. So yeah, it's a really because it, it, you can kind of if you've got a stretchy stocking, you can put it in a stocking as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah. It, it works really well for Christmas. That was lovely. And I feel like it would also make the perfect, like, you know, book to read while, you know, sitting in front of the fire on Christmas morning type mm. of thing. You know, like, you know, just remembering my childhood where I would get a book for Christmas and just, like, plunk myself down on the rug in front of the fire and just read it. Um, it feels it feels perfect for that. Or, or that kind of nice period after you've just eaten all the Christmas dinner and and you've you've just entered a sort of a slightly cold colder room and mm-hmm. and you just you're just cooling off and it's not you're not having to be so sociable anymore and it's like it's really <laughs> that that sweet spot and that kind of boxing day thing where you get to eat all the leftovers mm, much yeah. nicer than the original meal um and yeah you, yeah it's good it's perfect for that as well well thank you all very much the complete discography is an independent production by people who just really like these books all opinions expressed during the show are our own all quotes from primary or related works are used under the fair use doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners the music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please, share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at Pod, which is A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.